I find myself saying that a lot lately. We need him. We need him so desperately. Um, so there was a Sunday school teacher who was uh, teaching about uh, the uh, Ten Commandments with her class of five and six-year-olds. And after explaining the commandment to honor thy father and thy mother, she asked, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? And without missing a beat, one little boy said, thou shalt not kill. Last time we talked about Christ and the law, and Jesus, remember, he said, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. And uh, the, the law is good. It, it teaches us uh, God's heart for his people. The, the law, Paul said, is like a, a schoolmaster or a tutor. It, it teaches us right from wrong. It teaches us what pleases God. Uh, Paul, Paul even went as far as to say, I love the law. But the law is imperfect. Uh, we're, we're totally unable to follow it. That's, that's why we need the Lord so, so desperately. And when we think that we're actually doing pretty well, what do we do? We, we get puffed up with pride. We look around at other people and we, we feel superior to them. But, you know, Jesus makes the point that even when we are, when we feel like we're outwardly following the law, inwardly, we're still lawbreakers. And um, there's there's a there's another story. This story is is a classic story that that you hear in in sermons. I've heard it many times. There was a father who told his little four year old son to sit down, and his son wouldn't sit down. So the father said a second time, "Son, I said sit down," and the boy still didn't sit down. And finally, the father took him by the shoulders and forcefully placed him in the chair. He said, now, son, sit there. And little boy said, I may, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And that's us. That's a picture of us. Uh, you know, the point is our, our actions, our outward compliance with the law uh, doesn't always reflect our, our true hearts. And in his teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, uh, Jesus demonstrates that even when we think we're, we're obeying and we're keeping the law, we still fall far short of, of God's standards for us. And he makes the point that, again, the, uh, you know, observing the law outwardly does not necessarily show our compliance to, to God's will. God cares about our, our hearts. He, he cares about our, our motives and uh, we, we talked about this last time, Christ and, and the law. And this, this is really part of the same section. He's going to give us several examples of, of this. And today, he's going to demonstrate this as he looks at one of the commandments, thou shalt not kill. And he points out God's true in, intent in giving us this, this commandment. And you know, I think we can all feel pretty good about ourselves this morning. Has anybody murdered anybody yet today? You know, probably most of us can say, well, I've, I've never murdered anybody. And uh, you know what? That, that's too easy. That's, that's way too easy. God cares about our thought life. He cares about the things that other people don't see. You know, people see what's on the outside. God sees what's, what's in the heart. 
Yeah, let's read our text. It's uh, Matthew 5, 21 through 25. Matthew 5, 21 through 25, where we see God's true intention in giving us this commandment. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Um, Let's pray. Um, Lord, we do need you uh, every every hour, every every minute. Lord, uh, we're uh, we're in the position to where we we know that on our own we we have very little, really nothing to give. So we just we just come to you, Lord, with with, with empty hands, and we say we need you, Lord. We need your righteousness because we, on our own, well, we're lawbreakers, Lord. In Jesus' name. So Jesus is going to give us many examples here. He's going to show us that God's standard is is quite a bit higher than ours, uh, higher than we even thought. Remember what Jesus said in in the, the few verses before this. He said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you're, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we see in this example that uh, we are all murderers at heart. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we see... We see that Jesus is holding us to that higher standard. You know, it's it's in a lot of ways easier easy to follow laws. If everything's in black and white, we can say, okay, I've met this requirement, this one, check the box, check the box, check the box, I'm good. Yet be maybe less than good in, inside. Robert C. Roberts, he's a professor of ethics at Baylor University. He said there's something comfortable about reducing Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. Whether your list comes from mindless fundamentalism or mindless liberalism, you always know where you stand, and this helps reduce anxiety. Do's and don'tsism has the advantage that you don't need wisdom. You don't need you don't have to think subtly. Or make hard choices. You don't have to relate personally to the demanding and loving Lord. So Jesus gives us an example here. He says, murder is wrong. Murder is wrong. His disciples knew this from, from the Old Testament scripture. Just from the earliest pages of the Bible, we have this example of a brother killing his brother. I mean, we didn't we didn't even get past the second generation before before this was happening. And and you know we all know 
how horrible murder is. And we all know that there's a good reason that God commands us not to kill each other. And we feel good about ourselves. Yeah, we can, we can visit a prison or we can, we can watch some documentary show. There's, there's tons of them out there where you can see just some horrible person has, has killed somebody or killed a whole bunch of, of somebodies. And we, we say to ourselves, well, at least I'm better than him. Yeah, at least I'm at least I'm not like that. And remember the the context of this sermon. Jesus Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And he said, "I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fill it, fulfill it." James gives us a, a good perspective on what Jesus is getting at in his teaching. And by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but. Um, when you read through the book of James, you can see a lot of parallels between the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount. Some commentators have said, well, the book of James is really a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. It'd be a good exercise to, to read through it. But you're going to hear me quoting from James throughout these sermons quite a bit. James gives us a commentary here on this in James 2, 8, 3, 11. He says... If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. You know, so if we're if we're guilty on one count, we're we're guilty of all. We're sinners. We're transgressors. This this reminds me of a quote by uh, Billy Graham's wife. You, you might have heard this. Ruth Graham Bell said that uh, when when interviewed about her her husband Billy, she said, "I've I've never considered divorce. Murder, yes, but never divorce." <laughs> Yeah, at least she's being honest about it. But, you know, we're, we all are, are murderers at, at heart. Well, look at what Jesus said. He says that if you get angry at your brother, you're subject to the same judgment that you would be under if you physically murdered that, that person. If you insult somebody, you're, you're going to be held accountable to that. When you denigrate another person, you, you deserve hell. Uh, which of us have not done these things? You know, what, what Jesus is saying here is pretty extreme, I think. I've done all these things. Um, so this is something I, I know I need to take seriously. This is something we, we all need to take seriously. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's... He said previously that we are not to uh, relax the law. You know, if I if I relax the law in this area, what would what would I say? What would I do? I'd say, okay, no big deal. I got angry. So what? So I called him an idiot. It's because he is an idiot. He's wrong. I'm right. And I had every right to say what I did. 
And I go my merry way saying, I hate that guy. I hate his guts. Uh, but Jesus says, wait, what, what you did is wrong. It's, it's way wrong. You, you've murdered him in your heart. You, you are a murderer at heart. You've fallen far short of what I expect of you as my follower, as, as my child. So, you know, maybe we've never murdered anybody. That's great. But we have sought to destroy our brother. We Have we? Have we, have we engaged in uh, character assassination? Have we sought to destroy our, our brother's reputation? Um, we've, we've all seen this happen. Some people call it a, a smear campaign. And I know a pastor, and I'm talking about somebody in a, a previous church we were at who, who left the ministry after 30 years of ministry because somebody in the church did this to him. And it, it destroyed him. It destroyed his ministry. James 4, 1 through 2 says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And that's what happened to this guy. There was a couple people in the church wanted power and control. And uh, it, it destroyed this pastor and his, his ministry and his health. Well, Jesus is raising the bar with us here. He's really raising it. You know, it's, it's easy not to murder, but we can see here that we're all transgressors. Um, remind you of Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, where the prophet says, uh, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. But God gives us grace. Praise him for that. We need to be honest with with ourselves. We we can fool others. We can even fool ourselves, but we, we cannot fool God. We need, we need to know that he sees our hearts. We need to acknowledge our, our sin. Uh, we, we need to seek forgiveness, and, and we need to seek peace with one another. And so rather than uh, laying down condemnation on his disciples here, what is Jesus doing? He's saying, here's some practical steps to take. You know, first of all, we again, we just need to keep going back to we need him. We need him every hour. We, we need him. But, you know, instead of sitting there and condemning ourselves, we need, we need to do that. We need to seek re, uh, reconciliation. And if, if there is any doubt about how important our relationships are, Jesus lays it out right here in verse 23. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation is, is top priority. What Jesus is doing here is, you know, he's helping us realize we are transgressors. We are lawbreakers. And rather than making us despair, he's saying, okay, let's, let's do this. Here's an action. He gives us a way to fulfill the, the royal law. 
Remember that in, in James, the, the royal law, James says, is that commandment to, to love one another, to love our neighbors as ourselves. The, the royal law, the law of the king, King Jesus, it's, it's love. And, and you know, there's a, a beautiful simplicity of, about this. You know the, the fairies were the Pharisee the Pharisee, the Pharisees <laughs> were really good about knowing the law. You know they they even created new laws to build like a, a fence or, or a hedge around the laws that God had had given. You know these were these were to make sure that people didn't even come close to breaking the law. Uh, even. Even now, the uh, the Jewish people talk about this. Jewish rabbi uh, David Ostrich describes this. He says, just as a fence around a yard or house protects it, many of the rabbinic innovations were designed to protect the commandments in the Torah. These developments were not seen as additions or subtractions, but rather as aids in maintaining the integrity of the mitzvot. He says, I like to think about it with an image from my childhood. Many long driveways were lined with oak trees, and often the oak trees had tiny picket fences around them. A careless driver would break the fence, but not the oak tree. And I, th- I think a lot of times we, we tend to do this. We tend to uh, take something that God says, and then I think they are adding to it, <laughs> you know, coming up with, with new laws as, as a hedge, as a fence. You know, for instance, we might think that if we uh, associate with people who are unsaved, that's going to cause us problems. But what's what's the real problem with that? It's going to prevent us from following the command to uh, be witnesses, to make disciples. We uh, we might. Well, let's see, you know, we, for example, the Samaritan woman, okay, Jesus showed us the, the right way to do this. His, his disciples were very surprised to see him. Remember, he had sent them out for food. They came back, and he's sitting here with this Samaritan woman. Not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan, and they were very surprised that, that he would do this. But why was he? Because relationships matter. She needed the Lord. She needed him. You know, he was, he was breaking somebody's law, but not God's law. He was embracing the, the royal law. In fact, his law. <laughs> God cares about relationships. And, um, you know, I think our, our, sometimes our misguided attempts at following law and rules can keep us from building relationships and, and uh, being Christ's witnesses. Look at this next part. If we have broken relationships, we need to deal with them. Uh, we, need to, we need to give them tight, top priority. Jesus says, act quickly with this. He says, come to terms quickly with, with your accuser. And why is this? Because these things can escalate. Conflicts can, can, go, can grow quickly and, and become out of hand. And they do. You know, we, uh, uh, once other people get involved, the, the conflict goes from being a, a small flame to a, a huge conflagration. And, and we've all seen this happen. 
this, this dovetails with what Jesus says in Matthew 18, where he, where he commands us to first go to that person, just you and that person alone. If they won't listen, then bring in one or two others. If they still won't listen, tell the church. But the point is to keep the circle as small as you can for as long as you can. That's good wisdom. Otherwise, what happens? You pour gasoline on the fire. But, you know, so many times we want, we want to bring other people in, don't we? We want to call our friends, tell them our side, form a, uh, a group of allies to go with us against that person. And, you know, that's, that's not peacemaking. What is that? Peace-breaking. You know, we, we take it to the court of public opinion, and then what happens, it, it just is totally out of proportion, and, and the results are uh, disastrous. And this is the opposite of what Jesus is saying to do here. If we have an issue with our brother, if our brother has an issue with us, it's much, it's much better to handle, handle it at an individual level. So this, this passage is about peacemaking. You know, uh, what else can we do? We... we might also just ignore conflict when it's when it's there. Peace faking, it's called. We know it's there, but but in reality, it's it's simmering. You know, it's below the surface. It's like a pressure cooker, and the longer it goes, the higher the pressure is, it builds up, and then you end up with an explosive situation. And and when that breaking point is reached, there's no telling what'll happen. Good illustration right here. In, in a 1994 article, War's Lethal Leftovers Threaten Europeans. This is an Associated Press story. The bombs of World War II are still keep, are killing people in Europe. They turn up and sometimes blow up at construction sites, in fishing nets, or on beaches 50 years after the guns fell silent. Hundreds of tons of explosives are recovered every year in France alone. Thirteen old bombs exploded in France last year, killing 12 people and wounding 11, the Interior Ministry said. I've lost two of my colleagues, says Yvonne Bouvet, Bouvet, it's French, who heads a government team in Champagne-Ardennes region that diffuses explosives from World War I and World War II. It says unexploded bombs become more dangerous with time, with the corrosion inside, the weapons become more unstable and the detonator can be exposed. And what is true of a lingering bomb is also true of lingering anger. Buried anger will explode when we least expect it. So Jesus has given us some good wisdom here, very wise words. He's saying, take care of this conflict quickly. Don't, don't let those unexploded bombs remain buried and Jesus points to this situation where it's, it's actually gone into a litigation. And by that time, the conflict has been made very public. Sides have been taken, coalitions have been formed, uh, rumors are floating around, untruths are being circulated. Many people don't know what to believe, who to believe. For some, the truth doesn't even matter. They just want to fight. They just want to take sides. And as Jesus points out, the, the stakes are very high now. You know, reputations are ruined. Relationships are 
demolished. Churches are split. You know, it would have been much better to handle it according to Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to you be as a Gentile or a tax collector. Keep the circle as small as possible for as long as possible. Deal with it quickly, Jesus says. And um, the question always comes up, you know, what, what if this person who has something against me won't even talk to me? He refuses to, to meet with me. Uh, what, what if they really don't want peace? Uh, what, what if they are irreconcilable? And that's, that's a good question because it happens. We've all seen it happen. In Romans twelve seventeen through 18 gives us what we need. He's, he says, Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable, peaceably with all. And so... You know, the principle is if, if there's a wall between you and another person, make sure that wall's not there because of you. Always keep an open door for forgiveness, for reconciliation. Pray for that person. Uh, don't harbor anger. Don't hold on to bitterness. Don't hold grudges. Well, Jesus makes it very clear. God cares about our, our inner life. He cares about relationships. Um, if, if we want to be legalistic, Jesus shows how we condemn ourselves in, in doing so. You know, we, we may go, look good on the outside. We may be pretty proud of ourselves for how good we look on the outside. But, uh, you know, if we're, if we're full of anger and rage... We're lawbreakers. We're, we're murderers at heart. You know, even, even if we insult somebody and call them fool, we're, we're guilty of murder. That's what Jesus wants us to see. You know, and this is, the, this is the starting point in uh, learning what the Christian life is all about as we live it together. The Bible says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and miserable or misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul quoted this from, from the Psalms in, in Romans 3, 10 through 18. That really describes us. We're, we're lawbreakers and we need the Lord. We, we need him desperately. You know, Jesus said the law is summed up in love, right? Love for God, love for Others, 
love for God that, that captivate us, captivates us and, and consumes us, just a, a burning inner passion to know God, to seek God, to be like him, and love for others. And uh, God sets this as the highest standard for us. All the law is, he says, summed up in this love. And we fall short. We fail. Um, Jesus came to fulfill the law, and we, we need him. We need him to fulfill the law in our hearts. The, we need the law of love. We, and we need to acknowledge that without him, we're, we're nothing. We need his grace. We, we need him every day, every hour, every minute. And thank God he's, he's given us his spirit to indwell us and empower us. His presence is with us. Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, this, is, this, this is very convicting, Lord. You are, you are holy, and uh, you're like no other, Lord. Uh, Lord, we, we acknowledge our, our sin. We recognize how, how we need you. We, we recognize how our, our own righteousness fails so short of, of what you require and that by your standards, uh, we, are, we are murderers in our hearts. So, Lord, let, let your love permeate us, uh, Lord, that we would, we would love you above all else, that we would uh, love each other, the, the royal law, the law of the king. Take our hearts, Lord, and, and our minds and, and change us, transform us. We want to be like, like Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.